0: to set the, to set the stage this morning or to get us thinking in the right direction i'm going to show you a picture on the on the screen here <clears throat> and maybe kids are more familiar with this but this is a uh, a uh, two pictures which they call or kind of it's a spot the differences see how many uh, differences you can see in this picture can you, who can see some differences? You see what? Oh, the chimney. Okay. Okay, two windows, three windows. Okay, I can't hear you guys all, but <clears throat> there are ten differences. And yeah, it's, the, one, one cloud is bigger, there's one more apple on the tree, the, the cow has one more spot. Uh, the wheel on the wagon is in the middle. The chimney is smoking on the tractor. The one tractor has a light, one doesn't. The chimney is on the wrong side of the house. One has more window. The sun is on the one picture. And so those are the, the ten differences. Now, if you would eliminate, or I mean, if you look at those pictures, like at a glance, they almost look the same. You have to look a little bit closer. And some of the, uh, the pictures that you look at to spot the differences, some are a lot harder to To pick out and I didn't want to pick too hard of one. But the the thing that I want to say to us this morning is that even though there are differences, they do not it's not a big deal. A lot of these things. An extra spot on the cow, is that a big deal? No. Where the wheel is on the wagon, does it make a difference? Not really. Might pull a little harder or easier. Or where if one cloud is a little bigger, if there's one extra apple on the tree, there's an extra window in the house, or the chimney's on the other side. Maybe the biggest difference would be if the sun isn't rising above, it'd be dark on the one one, uh, scene. We want to talk today about something that maybe we don't talk about much or we say we don't have a problem with. I want to talk about Favoritism I mean it comes under different categories and different uh, different uh, titles. I mean, uh, when we talk about racism, we mostly talk about uh, different races of people and, and, and culture and stuff like that and color maybe, but favoritism kind of engulfs and, and captures all uh, all ways of we, where we can show. Racism or favoritism. Favoritism means that we lift something higher than something else. We make, and and, and especially people, where we look at people as superior to, to others. Where we see ourselves maybe as inferior to another person or even superior. Where we put a greater value on a person because of outward differences. Where we look at a person and say, oh yeah, man, they, they're valued a lot more because they have more money. They have more education. They have more, they are a different color. Uh, they are, uh, they're more famous. Or whatever it may be. So we want to discover this morning and realize that as followers of Jesus as Christians that it is it is inconsistent for us to show favoritism for us to be to look at other people as worth more than others favoritism contradicts our faith the faith we claim if we claim to have faith in Jesus if we claim to have faith and we show favoritism there's a contradiction. And you see that picture in the bulletin, on the, on the cover. There's a picture where it says, do not enter. And then on the same sign, it says, enter. So those two contradict each other. And in the same way, if we claim to have faith and we show favoritism, there is a contradiction, and it does not mix. Just like oil, oil and water don't mix. Right away, they separate. <clears throat> in our German service for the last couple of months, we've been looking at the book of James. And if you would look at the book of James, uh, James was the brother of Jesus, and he wrote this letter to a number of churches, to, uh, to believers. And in this book, almost every chapter, every portion of Scripture that is divided in their English Bible at least, it talks about how we have to line up our actions with our faith. And it's, and, and, and it's also in the same way when it comes to how we treat other people. Now, if we would look on the outside, if we would look in, around us in the world today, in our, in our workplace, and we would, I think, admit and, and say, this is a problem. This is a problem in our society." where we where people value others higher than certain other people and we we can call this racism or, or or whatever you want to call it there is a stigma attached to color to wealth or whatever however we may view another person just this case that was in the... I just heard this morning, I hadn't listened to Watch News yesterday, that, that case between this white person in Florida and the black person, George Zimmerman, who shot Trayvon Martin, who was a black person, and it, it was in the courts for, three, I think, three weeks or whatever, or, uh, finding the evidence, and I just heard that he has been, he has been found not guilty. Now... What's this, and, and, and what it has caused is caused a lot of friction again in, in the States because of this whole preconceived idea that a black person is not worth as much as a white person. And I hope that we have, we're not there, but there could be stuff in our own hearts that we have to struggle with. <clears throat> and just again, this, uh, a couple of months ago, there was a new commercial that came out, this Cheerios commercial. And I'm sure you've seen it, where, where it's a 30-second commercial advertising Cheerios. The, the mother is sitting at the table. The little girl comes. The mother is a white person. The little girl comes to the table and, and asks the mom if Cheerios is good for the heart. And mom says, yes, Cheerios is good. It's uh, whatever she says. It's good for the heart. So she takes a whole box of Cheerios, and she goes to her dad, who's laying on the couch, but who is a black person and she pours the box of cereal on his heart, dry cereal, hoping that it'll, because he's kind of over, overweight, that it'll help his heart. But you should have heard the uproar, and I'm sure you heard about the uproar. It was in the news. The comment section of, this, of, the, of the video had to be shut down because the, the negativity that there was, people and, and this little girl, she was kind of half-white and half-black. Half and so there was a backlash against interracial marriage. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that we haven't come further. So we see it in the world. But is it in the church? Is it in the church? We can look around us and say, but what I mean by in the church... As Christians, as followers, is it in my heart? Am I showing favoritism to certain people? Do I consider certain people superior to others? And I think as, and speaking to, I'm a Mennonite. Grew up in the Mennonite culture. Born here though, but... Heard stories from Mexico and stuff. But where we as Mennonites, and I identify myself with those, and I'm ashamed of it, but where we kind of thought we were the chosen ones, right? Like the Jews. They kind of thought they were God's chosen. They were God's favorite people, and everybody else was lower, and they weren't worth nothing. And kind of us Mennonites, I mean, when you look at the, the, uh, uh, the similarities, between the Jews and the Mennonites, I think we have a lot of the similarities, how we, how we view God and how we view the law and stuff like that. But I, I remember hearing stories from Mexico. The Mennonites, they, 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 they elevated themselves up here, and the Mexican people, they were down here, and kind of the Mennonites said, oh, those are only the people of the world. We are the special people. We are gods. And, so, and it's not just the Mennonites. It's in all cultures, and it can creep into the church, into our lives, if we're not careful. And so this morning, I want to challenge us to look within and to see if there is favoritism in our heart. James 2, one says this, <clears throat> My brethren, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. We are commanded not to show favoritism. And another translation kind of puts it a little more stronger. It says, do not have the faith of our Lord Jesus and show favoritism. Do not have the faith of our Lord Jesus. Do not believe in Jesus. And do not say you believe in Jesus and claim to be a follower. And then follow through with favoritism. I would submit to you this morning that if our faith is genuine, our faith is true, our faith is in check, it will keep us from showing favoritism. And if there is that in our heart, that struggle, I shouldn't say struggle, but if that is evident and we're just fine with it, then we need to see where our faith is at because it'll contradict our faith if we follow through with that. And that's, I think, what James is telling us here. You cannot practice favoritism and still live successfully in your faith. If we would look at the scriptures, there are many verses in the Bible that talk about God not showing favoritism. Acts 10.34, it says, Then Peter began to speak, and he, he had come to this realization, and maybe it's a Maybe we need to come to that realization today, too. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Romans 2.10, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Romans 2.11, for God does not show favoritism. And, and why I'm bringing up these verses, I think sometimes we look at the Old Testament, we look at the Scriptures, and we say, oh, I think God does show favoritism because the Jews. He calls them his special people. <clears throat> but I think what we need to understand is that God says they're not any better. He says, I didn't choose you as my chosen people to reach out to the nations because of anything that you have done. Those other people are just as valuable as you are. But in my sovereignty, I have chosen you as this group to be a light to the nations. In Job chapter 34, and just a passage from the Old Testament, Job chapter 34, verse 18, it says, Is he not the one who says to kings, You are worthless, and to nobles you are wicked? Verse 19, who shows no partiality to princes and who does not favor the rich over the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. So we have these verses, but we also have a demonstration of what it looked like when Jesus came to this earth. You see, when Jesus came and walked on the face of this earth, who did he reach out to? The wealthy? The educated? The religious? No. He came and he hung it with the down and outers. He came and hung it with those whom the world thought were inferior. Jesus came and he hung it with the children. When the disciples and the people around him said, Oh, you don't hang out with the children or Don't let the children go to Jesus. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Children were seen as lower. Jesus hung around with women. He paid special attention to women because women, again, were seen as lower class. The poor, Jesus hung out with the poor. Jesus hung out with other kinds of races, with the Samaritans. There was such a difference between the Jews and the Samaritans. And then Jesus hung out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors who were seen as nobodies. So here we have a demonstration, a picture of what it looks like. And the question I have for myself and you, who do you hang out with? Who do you hang out with on a regular basis? And I think very often that is an indication. I'm not saying that you can't hang out with your friends more often than you do with others, but if you're never hanging out and never making connections with people who are, in the, in the eyes of the world, are lower and less. I'm wondering, do I have favoritism then? Am I showing favoritism? <clears throat> so after James, in this passage, he tells us that we are not to show favoritism, that it is a direct contradiction to our faith he gives us an example of what it may look like in a church and he gives us an example and i think it was happening in that church and it could be happening in our church but he uses this example but i think it can take many other faces and come out in many different ways He gives us the example of money. He says in verse 2, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in shabby clothes comes in. What do you do? James says if you show special attention to the rich man, to the man with fine clothes, who has the rings and who has all the bells and whistles, he comes in on on a Cadillac or whatever it is, if you show special attention to that person and then a poor man comes in and he comes in on a taxi and wearing old clothes and stuff, and if you take that rich man and you walk him to the front and you say, sit here, and you take the poor man and you say, you can sit back there, you can sit at my feet, he says, you're committing the sin of favoritism. Now we might think and say, well, we would never do that and we're not doing it here. But I wonder if it really came down to it. What's our attitude? And like I said, this is just one way that we can show or practice favoritism. There are many other ways. How do we treat that person? I remember when I was getting ready for this sermon, I I came across some other uh, uh, people who had preached on this passage, and they had they had uh, the pastor had dressed up as an old person as a, as a homeless with shabby clothes and he had come into the church and he had started walking up to the front and then the ushers came along and they and they uh, took him took him by the hand and they said no no the, the, you can sit back here and i don't know if he was dressed in smelly clothes or not and so they sat him down the back and when when the, uh, the host or the service leader called him up to preach or, or called up the pastor, he wasn't nowhere to be seen, here walks up this guy, and he starts to un- take some of his clothes off, and they realize that was the pastor. I wonder, if it really came down to it, how would we respond? So why do we show favoritism? Well, I think one of the reasons is that we have the wrong glasses on. Sometimes I think what we need to do is take off a certain set of glasses and put new glasses on. And maybe today it's time for a new prescription for some of us. Maybe our glasses have become clouded. Maybe we can't, it's kind of foggy. Maybe we are just seeing people from close but we need glasses that are that we see through through the word of god these glasses that i would submit to you that we need to take off our worldly glasses and put on god's glasses 1 corinthians 3 says the natural man does not understand the things of the spirit but the spiritual man makes judgment about all things so here we have two groups of people here we have a, a group of people who do not understand anything spiritually. That's the natural man. That's not been born again. That does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then there's the other side. There's a person that has that relationship with Jesus Christ. He's spiritual. He, he makes judgment about all things. He knows it's wrong to show favoritism. But he says then there's another group of people, and he says these are the worldly Christians. These are people who claim to follow Christ, who are born again, I think, but they're looking through worldly glasses the glasses of the world see what is valuable on the outside of the person god's glasses look not what is on the outside but what is on the inside of the person and you know it is and if you look that is true there are differences in people there are people who look better. There are people who are smarter. There are people who are richer. There are people who, are, who have, are more famous. There's no doubt about it. On the outside, they are different. Just like that picture we've seen. There are differences. But let me tell you, those differences are insignificant because the value is determined by what's inside. There's a story in the Bible, and in 1 Samuel, where, where uh, the people of Israel were looking for a king. And Samuel was the prophet who was supposed to, who was uh, given this job. And so Samuel went to the house of David, or to, to the line of David, or uh, to Jesse. He was called to go to Jesse and pick one of the sons as the king for Israel. And as Samuel went there, he got there and he... And he, I guess he walked into the yard, and, he, and, he, and here was this big, rugged soldier, uh, Eliab, the oldest of Jesse's sons. And so, as Samuel sees him, he says, That's the one. That's the king. I know it. That's the one I've chosen. And God says, No, no. That's not the one. And then they went through all the sons. And God says, "No, that's not the one. That's not the one." And then finally, Samuel asks, "Is, is that it? Is there no more sons?" And then, then uh, Jesse says, "Oh no, no, there's one more. There's one more out in the field. That's the youngest. It's David. He's only a shepherd. And I, I don't know if I don't know if what uh, Jesse all said, but I kind of get the feeling, no, he's not important. He, he, he's not a king. He's a shepherd. And Samuel says, go get him. And they sent for him, and they anointed David as king. In verse 7, it says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. And he's talking about all the other sons, all the other brothers. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at, but man looks at the outward appearance But the Lord looks at the heart. Where are we supposed to look? What kind of glasses we're supposed to see? People's hearts. And that doesn't mean that we can look into people's lives. But God tells us something about the heart. I want to bring up a picture on the screen $50 $50 billion. This is real money. This is, this is real money. But as you see, it's from Zimbabwe, from Africa. Now, how many believe this is worth $50 billion? Oh, there is one. <laughs> no, I, I think we would all agree this is, this is not worth $50 billion because uh, I think I would, uh, I would be attacked here and I don't think I would uh, be standing here. This $50 billion, what it says on here, that's not the actual value. How many, who can tell me, and, 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 and not somebody who has seen this before. I've shown this before in the last service and I think in the German service. How many know how much this is worth or would like to take a guess? Somebody yell it out. $5? $500? Okay. Give me, give me the next picture, and that's how much it's worth. Three cents. Fifty billion dollars written on here is worth three cents, and if you, and you see these are Canadian pennies? Well, they're not even worth anything today. You don't want your pennies anymore. The real value of this is not determined by what it says on here what's on the exterior the real the real value is determined by the government who prints the money and who gives it its value i want to say this morning the value we place on people is not determined by you and me the value is determined by god the bible says that he has stamped his image Which means his value on each one of us. On every person that has ever been born and will be born has the stamp of God's image and God determines the value of that person. No matter what is written on the outside. No matter what color that person has. No matter how much money he has. No matter how much education. No matter how famous he is. You are valued just as much as that individual in God's eyes. I got this money from Africa, and I was in Africa three three or four years ago. And we were, went to a pastor's conference. And at that conference, and this just, again, hit home, as I was getting ready for this, and I was reminded of this, there was about 2,000, 3,000 pastors there, leaders. And as we're getting together, Jim Cantillon, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's from... Uh, He's from Toronto, he's 100 Huntley Street, he was with us and he was preaching there. And during the week as we were there, we had met, we had went through, uh, to a lot of the villages and we had met one little boy, and, uh, and uh, he had, uh, the, the, our leader had met with him many times already, but his name was Kennedy, he was crippled. His, his, his legs were formed like this right up to him and he would just kind of sit on his, on his rear end and just kind of hop like this, and we had, we had brought him a soccer ball. An orange soccer ball. And I was going to get that video, and you should have just seen how excited he was. And, and he would take that ball, and he would with his, with his feet, he would kick it, and he'd jump around, and he'd play soccer. Just amazing. But well, they brought this Kennedy to this conference. These two or 3,000 pastors. And who else was there was the vice... Uh, I don't think it was the president, but it was the vice president of Zambia. This money was from Zimbabwe. I wasn't there, but... Somebody gave it to me. But we were in Zambia, and here was the vice president of this country, a person who was highly looked up to. And as Jim Cantillon was preaching, this guy was sitting there, listening, and he had a little speech. They brought this little boy up, Kennedy, this cripple. And they set him beside the president of Zambia. And Jim Canlon went through his... Went, talked about kind of the, the stigma about AIDS and all that and how people look down on people who have AIDS and they look so highly up on the government. And, and he said, and he, and, he, and he told the people, he says, you know what? This little Kennedy is just as important, is just as valued as the president of Zambia. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And how... We as people often look at those kind of people, the cripples, the down-and-outers. They're not worth as much. And those that are well-off and rich, we look up to them and, and we say they're worth more. You see, at the cross, we're all on level ground. The good news is that God's love and grace is not dependent on what you do and who you are in yourself, what you have, what you don't have. But it's the stamp of God's value that he's placed on you. And if you would read uh, read, uh, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, Don't worry, because God cares for you so much because you're so valuable that even if a hair falls from your head, God knows it, and he pays attention to it, and so you are worth so much. Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows our hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. So we need a new set of glasses. We need a new prescription. And so I hope that we can put those on here this morning. I read a, about a story, and I don't know how am I going to put this in, but I think it just kind of kind of cap- captures how we can sometimes fluctuate. And if, if it's for our, our benefit and for our gain, then we will show favoritism. I know from when we went to Africa, it, it just seems like the, the African people, they, they put us up here. And then I asked myself the question, why is that? Well, I think because they want something from you. They think that they can get something from you. And, and, and what I was reminded of, you, of, of myself is that very often we look up to a rich person, we think, oh, well, wow, maybe if I hang out with this person, I can go boating or, or I can get some money. And, and why do we do that? Because we want, to, we want to satisfy ourselves. If we have more money, we'll be more satisfied. But God wants us to find his satisfaction in him and him alone. And so whether, like, showing favoritism will not satisfy you in any way. Only God can. But anyways, here's this story. There's this lady who called a number of churches. She had, had a dog, a, a dog that she really loved. This dog died. She called many a pastor and said, "Can we? Can I have a funeral at your church for my dog?" And every pastor and every church and every denomination she called, they said no. And so then she called a let me use let me put a denomination. It wasn't that that denomination, but let me put Mennonite in here. Leamington EMMC, and put yourself in as maybe as the pastor, as the leader. You got the call. And you said, no, no, we can't do that. We don't, we don't do burials for dogs, for animals. No, nope. but, but why do you want to do it? Well, I love my dog, and he was a good, a good dog to me, a kind of like a friend. And the and the, person, the preacher said, no, we, we just can't do it. I would love to do it, but we can't. And then this lady, she says this. I loved him so much, man, I would be willing to give $10,000 to the church who does it. And then the pastor says, oh, man, why didn't you tell me right from the start that your dog was a Mennonite? <laughs> See, that $10,000 changed the whole thing. And I think sometimes that skews or that distorts our, our vision Favoritism, James says here, is serious. He says, if you, have, if you show favoritism, you have become judges with evil thoughts. He says, if you show favoritism, then you are sinning. He equates favoritism on equal ground with murder with adultery, with all those other commands. And I think sometimes we have a problem with that. We think, favoritism, well, that's not a big deal. But it is. In God's eyes, for the body of Christ, for His family, it is serious. And we need to take it serious. Verse 8 says, if you really keep the... The royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, verse 9, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Verse 11, for who he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And so what James is trying to say, that the sin of favoritism is on equal ground. Let me close with this. How, where do we move from here? How do we solve this? I, I, I'm not sure if it's so easy to solve, but I think one of the first... Things we need to do is to admit it. If you look in your heart and you sense that, yeah, I kind of have a, a problem against colored people. I kind of look down on poor people. I I kind of struggle with with certain people. I see myself as a little bit better, or I could even say I, I see myself as lower than that person. I think admit it. Agree and say, I have a problem with it, and then confess it. But then also to do something about it. Then you need to take the next step and maybe connect and, and get involved with people that you have a hard time associating with. If it's with Muslims, which I know a lot of people have, and I've, I've heard it within this church, those people that wear those turbans, I don't know, and you know, and we have preconceived ideas. Uh, but get involved in in areas like that, and I just want to share three things that this, this last little while um, I see is, this happening. Maybe not presently, but one of the the one of these uh, are Jake and Arlene Friesen, our conference uh, director. They were at our place a while ago. And he shared about, about what they're doing in Winnipeg. They are connecting with the Muslim people every week. They go to a, they go to a, a coffee house or something, and there they, uh, there are Muslims and there are people from different ethnic groups, and they are intentionally connecting with these people and loving them and sharing with them not, not just the gospel, but their lives. And so they're making an effort to meet those people and, and learning to love them for who they are, how God values them. I received a letter uh, this last week, or a prayer letter from Whitney Belovich. She was in, this, in our church a while ago. Uh, she's from Chatham, and she moved to Bolivia to teach in our Mennonite school in Pilon. And in this letter, she wrote that she had a day off that one day, and she went to a a Mennonite couple, and she helped butcher pigs. And she said she made some funny faces and grunts and stuff and seeing what they did to these pigs and what they all made. But she said this was one of my best experiences in Bolivia there is hanging out with this, And she said, I love these Mennonite people. She made an effort. And then about a month ago or a little bit over a month ago, we took a group of 12 people to Windsor to a New Song Church, and about 100 people or so gathered their homeless people, and we served them a meal and sat with them at the tables and connected with them and, and just listened to their heart and listened to what they had to share. You know, there are ways we can do that, and so I want to encourage you to get involved in people other than what, what look like you, act like you, have the same status as you, and God will change your heart and you will see the value in people's lives. I pray that God would do that in your heart. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray that you would speak to us individually. Lord, I have spoken collectively, I have spoken in an audience, but Father, that by your probing Spirit, that you would speak. And Father, that in, our, in the quietness of our heart and, Lord, not a bunch of fanfare, that we would just say, yes, I struggle with this, I have a problem with this, and God, I want to have victory over it. I want to see others, not as inferior, not as superior, but equally. Your word says that slave, or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, there is no difference. We are all equal. And so, Father, I pray that you would apply these truths to our hearts, to our minds, and, God, that it would make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.